Hello and welcome to Minda Dialogue, episode number 153. This interview is with Tracy Follows, a professional futurist specializing in brand, communications, and media futures. She's worked with Google, Telefonica, and a host of tech startups, and is the regular futures columnist for Marketing Magazine, as well as being on the Wired Consulting Faculty in the Faith Popcorn Brain Reserve Talent Bank, and is a global transporter for trend watching. In this podcast with Tracy, we talk about how companies can get better ready for the future, what needs to happen to act on those future trends, and of course, the important upcoming trends. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, I have a lady who is who has the name that just has to be the most social of names ever, Tracy Follows. So, Tracy, tell us who you are, what you do, and as always, what is your mindset? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Minter. Um, Gosh, well, uh, I worked for about 20 years in advertising, uh, various creative agencies, client side, agency side, and um, lately I've moved into futurology, or futurism as they call it. I wish there was a better word for it, um, but there isn't. Um, and so that is more sort of long-term strategic thinking, um, still in the sort of brands and advertising communications area, uh, and that's what I, I, I work in now. Um, gosh, my mindset. I, I suppose my mindset really is about... Um, believing in foresight lovely all right so futurism futurology how do you apply that what, what is it what does it look like in, from your side okay so lots of people will say uh it's about predicting the future i don't think it's about that uh i think it's about um it's about looking at alternative futures um so there's the baseline future which everybody thinks is probable that's what's going to happen um but you can use scenario planning you can use your imagination to to investigate different alternative futures and and out of all that if you're really smart you then pick a preferable future um which will help you direct your business um will 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 let you you know, put your resources in certain areas. Um, and then in that way, you sort of can co-create the future mm. that, that, you, that you want, which is, which is preferable from, from your point of view, rather than have it just sort of sneak up on you, take you by surprise. All right, so if we look at the future, things like mobile penetration probably going to get more. So many of these things actually, are the, there's a convergence in the, in the way people are looking at and now, you know, quote-unquote predicting IoT, this is all happening, and you've some maybe futurists have been saying this for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. If I'm a company and I'm looking at obviously mobile penetration or IoT or these other massive trends that are out there, is it not a risk that I just follow the boat and follow everybody? And so how do you then advise your clients in dealing with these trends? So that's a good question because what you're really talking about is the baseline future. It's the probable future. The thing that everybody pretty much thinks is going to happen because all of the leading indicators that we, we can see out there are pointing towards that probable future. Everybody then puts their money on that. and then at, at, at more or less greater speed because, I mean, even like mobile penetration, there's still many, many companies that don't have a mobile-friendly sign. Yeah, it, it, exactly. But... Um, then if you i mean there's a whole load of 
tools and models and ways of thinking that allows you to bring your imagination to bear, to consider and explore different alternative futures to that probable future. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that, 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 I think it's quite interesting, actually, if you go back to the 1970s and you start reading Alvin Toffler again, I mean, he was predicting the internet, he was predicting what's happening to our communications back in the 70s. Um, and so I think one of the things is people feel like there is all this exponential growth all of this change is happening really, really quickly. It's accelerated, which is all true. But stop, take a breather, have a think about it. Because if you believe in Amara's law, which, I mean, I do, it states that um, we tend to overestimate the short-term effects and underestimate the longer-term effects. And if you can just stop and think about, okay, all of this is happening, but what are the long-term effects? What are the longer-term trends? Then it'll take you to different alternative futures rather than the one that you think is just up in front of you that's going to happen tomorrow, which is, which is where, where most people are, are focusing. All right, so I, when I look at your site, Tracy, you say, our mission is to create alternative and actionable futures for you. So um, the question I have is, is how, if we're looking at the long term, the challenge is making that action happen today because these are budgets today for a, a long-term payoff, if I will. You know, so how do you make the action come off, you know, come, you know, happen in a company? Yes, well, <laughs> it is a real challenge to get, um, well, to find people who also believe in putting time and space and resources into investigating a long-term view. And I I won't pretend that everybody's up for that because they are not. Um, Most things are very short-termist at the moment. Uh, We're driven by quarterly results and what is your consumer doing next week and how can we react to that? Um, And so when I talk about action, um, it's really, I suppose it's about rehearsing. So... As I said, the future isn't about predicting what is definitely going to happen. Nobody knows that. But what you can do is play through these scenarios. I suppose it's a bit like wargaming, really. Mm -hmm. You can play through these scenarios and go, well, if this happened, then what would we need to do? And, well, what if that should happen? Well, then we need to do this. And, And actually, it's like exercising your mind. It's becoming very flexible in your own thought processes and your mind. And and helping your own organisation become a bit more flexible in the way it thinks about what is going to happen and how it would approach it and where it would f- flip its resources. And so it's, it, it's rehearsing. It's sort of, somebody once said to me, it's calisthenics for the, for the mind. And that's exactly what it is. Now, you don't have to spend that much in terms of resources putting aside some time with some smart people, you know, every few months whatever thinking about those sorts of things and doing those thought experiments because what it does mean if you've done that when change does happen or it looks like it's coming on the horizon or things have evolved that you can take advantage of you've already rehearsed it you know what you're going to do and you know what you need to take into account so I would say most people aren't taking action they're reaction it's about reaction Mm. they're reacting but if you are exercising your mind and rehearsing, you're much more flexible and ad- adaptable, and then you can take action. All right, so the context for this question is in trying to find a long-term path and the things that are right in the alter- amongst the alternatives that are out there. 
how do you animate a, a C-suite? And, or, you know, when you're working with the clients, how, how, what is the process by which people start rehearsing appropriately? Because <laughs> the image of the uh, you know CEO getting up in a in a skirt or, or you know rehearsing, I'm thinking of a play, you know, getting up and you know getting ready for a play. That was just a joke. But, you know, this notion of rehearsing playing, because, you know, rehearsing does lead to sort of playing games as opposed to sort of, you know, downright get the numbers in today. Mm. And I was wondering how, how best do you, how do you feel that you can get a team to, to do this type of rehearsing in today's environment? Okay, so what is, what kind of unlocks that is when you can get people to understand that they themselves are bringing a whole load of assumptions and biases to the table. Um, Because if they can understand that, then they can understand that their whole company has a bias, has a set of assumptions, um, and that that those might not be the right assumptions about how things are going to pan out. So, for example, there's an exercise you can do where you just get people to... I suppose it's quite introspective, really, but you're doing it as a group in a workshop. You get people to um, basically explain what their worldview is. So some people, their views and their values are very traditional. It's all about family and belonging and following the rules and all of that. Other people, it's much more postmodern. You know, it's about, you know, where is the meaning? How can we create a community? All those things. Now, all of those people in that room will have completely different kinds of values. They never think about them. They never impact them. They never express them, never acknowledge them. But all of those values and assumptions are being brought to the way in which they think the future is going to turn out. Mm. So when you can get people to do that to themselves, they go, oh, gosh, yes, hang on a minute. You know, Maybe you are assuming this, and maybe if we set those assumptions aside, we could imagine something else, and what if this happened? And then you've sort of broken through the sort of, this is going to happen, and you start a conversation about what what if this should happen so it's about un- sort of uncovering people's belief systems and, and allowing giving them the permission to say that maybe they're, they're not the right ones yeah so, so another thing is social change what, what's your theory of social change mine yeah. <laughs> all right well I say in, uh, in companies you need to believe it yourself personally and then uh, it's appropriate to bring it into the company if it doesn't rhyme with your internal values which is different from your belief system because your values are i think are more evergreen concepts that can adjust over time but so you need to make sure it resonates with you and um and then afterwards it's it's something that probably should be happening on your weekends as much as nine to five at work so so i didn't realize till i went and did a course in foresight and futures and we explored all this that i have a progressive view of social change I, I didn't even realize that I think personally that um, change happens on this sort of um, an improvement basis that whatever happens tomorrow will be better for us not for me but for us as a community a society um, and that's kind of a, quite a western um, a view, view of social change but other people there were people from Singapore for example who had a, a very cyclical view of change mm-hmm. that, that the right. world moves in cycles um, different to, to prog- progress yeah other people had a very market driven uh, view of social change so it's the markets that lead change and society kind of comes in behind that and is influenced by that I mean there are something like 11 or 12 different drivers of social change again if you can unpack those and understand what 
kind of views of social change people are bringing to the table you can explore all those swap them over thinking different ways and again it just liberates your imagination your thinking right, but this is a very personal discussion i mean you and i are having good good conversation about that but you're in a c-suite and, and you're asking people to reveal their more personal world views how, do, how does that go down give us give me some examples of, of where that went down well and maybe another example where that didn't go down so well well, well actually I mean, some people are terrified of doing that. You don't introduce it. That's what you're doing. (laughs) Right, right? get naked. Exactly. Well, yes. Um, But but that's the outcome you're after. You don't describe it. Those aren't the inputs. It's not the way you describe it. Um, Whenever you do these workshops and and these activities and initiatives, you can kind of guarantee that half the people are really up for it and the other half are completely terrified and they want to know what's going to happen and in what order. Um, I have done work with uh, in sort of mobile and telco and, and, and those sorts of areas where where people were very reticent. But after you've gone through some of these models and tools, it, they're so revealing. Mm-hmm. But it's like anything. When you reveal something, that there's a truth, it, there's, um, everything relaxes. Well, they, they, presumably they have to trust you. And I, I, it leads me to the thought that a team that doesn't go through a hard situation or a revealing of vulnerability is no team at all? Well, I think that's true because you, you uh, it's about an experience. I mean, you, it's very hard to do futurism or anything, obviously, for, for that matter, on your own. You, you're never doing it on your own. You're always looking for feedback. You're always looking to the past. You're always looking for patterns in people's behaviours. Um, and um, when people when the truths are revealed then yes then, then people feel like, oh okay you've unlocked something for them alright so looking at the future yes <laughs> what are the, some of the most exciting technologies that you see out there that brands should be taking uh, taking advantage of is there anything that um, it's I suppose hard because of course it depends on which brand but what, 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 what drives you uh, or what excites you I'm quite interested in technologies that affect core communications. So so there's lots out there at the moment, right? There's robotics and artificial intelligence and um, all sorts of nanotechnologies, and they're all fascinating, and I won't pretend that I understand them in that much detail. I'm quite interested in core communications technologies, so how we communicate with each other as human beings and how we communicate with our environment and it communicates back to us. So one of the things I was writing about recently was how... Here's a great example, actually. People have a sort of probable future that we're all going to live in hyper-connected cities where there are self-driving cars and and everything's automated and delivered to us and uh, not just our taxis, but everything is in that automated, hyper-connected world. I actually don't think... it has to be like that. And I think there are numerous alternative futures where actually we're using that technology to make us more human in our environments and to be more communicative with the world around us. I mean, you know, sensors, sensory elements in the tree. We're sitting out here in a garden, you know, park benches, trees. There are all sorts of information and data that you can use to communicate in a much more human way. And for you to feel much more ease in your environment doesn't have to mean the machine augmented hyper-connected world of the sci-fi novel Mm. Um, although we've bought into that as the probable future it could be a much more relaxed intuitive human authentic um, world so it makes me think of uh, yesterday I was in Amsterdam and visiting an organization called WAAG W-A-A-G dot org 
and uh, my team has been running this and, and so it's a maker's lab and what she's observed is a, a massive desire for people to return to craftsmanship yes. so using technology 3D printers and all these other things for the slowness of making my own version of something I could buy quickly on a shop but I'd rather do it myself which exactly that comes back to values what are the things that we value um, because those are the things that we will then go on to create um, one of the other things I think is really interesting is just the whole idea of I suppose this builds on what I was just saying, the augmented humanity. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea that it isn't man versus machine, it is the fact that we can use machine technology, almost implant it into us, mm-hmm. and actually, actually literally implant it into mm-hmm. us in some cases, to augment ourselves as humans, to go beyond humanity. I suppose it's best expressed by the whole theory of transhumanism Mm -hmm. and there's a transhumanism manifesto and there's lots of people meeting and discussing all of this but it is incredibly interesting what you know what will then happen in sports are we going to be running sprints with as augmented humans or are we going to say well no you've got to be just 100% biologically human you know you're not allowed on the on the sports field but if that's going on in the real world then why would you you you're going to end up with a world where people in high school are faster than Olympic athletes Mm -hmm. because they're taking advantage of this technology same with drugs and smart drugs you know who's going to be taking that Mm -hmm. where is it going to be allowed so that whole idea of going beyond our humanness Mm -hmm. to to um, yeah to create something maybe it's my progressive social change attitude coming out it's your worldview well it is my worldview I suppose I'm thinking well how could we better enhance ourselves Mm -hmm. So that we, uh, we uh, performance that is, and uh, achievement is at its greatest it could ever be at. Um, but again, I think consciousness, what does that mean for consciousness? Are we going to be able to, are we now or soon going to be able to um, control the world, physical elements with our mind? You know, I've already, I'm sure you have things like NeuroSky where you can play a game moving the ball as it sort of levitates above, above the game with the power of your mind. I mean, just incredible mm. things. Mm. And maybe we haven't even... Maybe we know 1% about consciousness today and mm. actually the 99% there is, is yet to explore. I don't know. It's a crazy world out there. So <coughs> talking about communications, Tracy, and uh, in the end of the day, an army's first line that's most important is not the supplies of food, but is their communication line. So communications... In enterprise, of course, are much more important. What kinds of communications do you see tools and platforms out there that companies or brands should be looking at in terms of improving their communications, whether it's internal or external? How do, is there any uh, viewpoint you have on that? Um, I think the technologies f- f- around communications get them at their most interesting when they're blended. <clears throat> so... Um, we already know that voice is going to become increasingly important in terms of communication and mobile communication. I think it's about, in the States now, it's 41% of people are using Google search through voice. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere near that in the UK, of course, but, mm-hmm. but it will be. So video, obviously, is also on the rise. So when you put voice and video together, what, what does that mean? Um, 
it might mean I don't have to go to the doctors physically anymore mm-hmm. because there's a voice and video service where I can speak directly to my GP because, as we know, <laughs> not many people can get appointments. Yeah, um, not quickly anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so all those sorts of things. Um, I think when you blend um, search with those sensory elements that we were just talking about, mm-hmm. you know, how can, can I search for something that is a, sen- a more sensory type of communication or can it suggest things to me that it feels that I am... Uh, it is, it's an appropriate time for me to sense certain experiences. So I think about something like, uh, I think it's called... Uh, I think it's called Play the Road, the VW experiment, where oh, yeah. yeah, where they put the, the composed music in the car and the music that is played kind of is based on how you're driving the car, how fast you're going, how you're cornering, you know, all those sorts of things. And that, those elements of communications, again, I, I was saying earlier, that are sort of in tune with you and your mood and emotion and where you are, your location... Mm. Um, so it becomes another dimension. Communications become a whole n- another dimension uh, to experience. I think is really important. It's going to be really important. Mm, that sounds exciting. So, all right. Speaking of exciting and looking at technologies and fun things like that, Tracy, um, whether it's the Apple Watch, wearables, mm. uh, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, what are the things that excite you? Um, and I suppose thinking about brands, which ones do you think of the, the most potential in the next uh, next couple of years? Gosh, ah, <laughs> you put me on the spot now. Um, yeah, wearables is interesting. Well, I mean, we haven't even got, got to wearables yet. We're talking about them, but I haven't really seen one. So the work that Levi's are doing, obviously, with um, technology integrated into your clothing. Mm-hmm. What I've been looking at lately is disappearables, which is the step beyond wearables. What is that? I don't even know disappearables. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, tiny little devices that you can kind of put in your ear or, I mean, they, some of them could be implanted, but they are, they literally are disappearables. So all of the technology is, in, is inside. It isn't something you wear. It's not external. So, so you'd be the pills you, the, the pills you well, swallow. Well, there's that as well. Um, you know, when you've talked about what brands uh, are going to be taking technologies on, I think the health industry, health, health and insurance, um, digital health I mean there aren't that many brands in digital health not recognisably like there are in fast moving consumer goods or whatever but maybe that was a 20th century thing maybe in the 21st century actually some of the biggest brands will be in health well sort of like biotech you know there's always like pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals and these biotech things who are, who are they startups and corporate right. and, and sort of very removed and international and, and you kind of think big glass buildings administration maybe it won't be like that maybe the healthcare brands pharmaceutical brands will be the most personal brands you know of our daily life Tracy uh, switching topics a little bit we, you worked in the agency business uh, for so long and advertising and, and you're going to be writing this article uh, for the Guardian about can so you know a lot about uh, the the agency world agencies have to be a major component partner for so many brands how do you think the role of agencies uh, has changed today and and if if you were to be advising an agency where should they be going tomorrow in order to be better partners Um, well they could start by embracing the need to have a longer term view so um, 
one of the things I've been doing with a colleague is we've been researching and writing a book, which I think you know, but I think I've talked to you about before, which is tracing the origins of planning. So when did planning start in account in, in advertising agencies? And we know it's kind of the late 60s, early 70s, and it's BMP and it's JWT. But it's got a long story short. At that time, there was the 15% commission system mm. where there was a lot more money swishing around to enable planners to look at all the data, do lots of in-depth research with real people over you know, a, a longer time to synthesize all of that, um, to, to, to create models and actually to project and anticipate, I suppose, uh, longer ter- a longer term view about where the brands could go. Now, that has all been lost, I, I think anyway, that's all been lost from advertising agencies. It's all very short-termist. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about deliverables. Those deliverables, you know, t- tend to be TV and digital now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what agencies get paid for. They get paid for executing that TV spot or that digital campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't any spare cash around to pay for planners, for example, or anybody mm-hmm. in an agency to really think into the future about the long-term health and direction of a brand and I think there's a real gap now whether it's an advertising agency whether you can really correct that I know you're sort of you, you've got that, that expression that I've got which is oh, I, I don't think we can go back to that but, it, but what it has left is a gap now management well, maybe cons- just, just, it, it is more consulting than advertising it is more consulting, but it's but it's brand. It's consulting about the brand. So advertising agencies used to be the guardians of clients' brands. They were, in many cases, like JWT, the extension to the client's marketing department. And they looked after that brand. Everything about how that brand was nuanced, how you'd cast a character, what wardrobe they would wear, how it would speak, the language, the words it would and wouldn't use. I don't think that goes on to the same degree now because, it, as I say, it's more about the execution, the advertising execution, and less about the the body language of the brand, especially of the long term. Well, so, one, I mean, there, there are two parallel phenomena which have presumably contributed to this. One is that marketing people rotate through their brand. They come in, they come out. And advertising agencies, not only the, 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 the account execs come on and come out, but every year they're put up for bid again. And, yeah. and so who actually is on top of the long-term vision of the brand? Uh, no one. I, I honestly don't. Th- it, very, it's a very rare case when a brand is projecting out to think, where could we be in 10 years' time? You know, Normally that happens when uh, there's a crisis in a particular category or digital has come in and disintermediated, disintermediated the entire market. Um, but, you know, Faith Popcorn, who's a very f- famous futurist, if you speak to her, she'll tell you the story of Kodak when they went in and told Kodak all the things that, you know, they should be thinking about, the scenarios um, that they should be investigating and exploring. And, and of course, they weren't ready to do that because they didn't think that their, their business was about that. Mm-hmm. Now, management consultancies can come in and do some of that longer-term thinking, but they don't have the kind of imagination that advertising agencies have. Mm. Advertising agencies have amazing, creative, imaginative people. Um, and, and it's a shame, in a way, that you know, they can't harness some mm. of that creativity to, to imagine the yeah. future. I mean, this notion of being partners is so important. I, I, you know, the subject of my book is, is mm. talking a lot about the, the vision of the brand and, and the 
role of the CEO. And if the CEO is the founder, well, hallelujah, that person is it and lives it and sees it 10 years along. But if it's a commercial CEO who's been brought in for the job and has a certain mandate, and that's usually probably around shareholder return, the idea of branding and whoever is carrying that is lost because the founder who impersonated, or not impersonated, but in, you know, uh, personalizes and, and re- embodies the brand isn't there. Yeah, you know, w- one of the things I've found on my little journey into futurism is that it's the non-exec directors who are most interested in this um, because I suppose they are less... Uh, I'm not, not saying the execs are myopic, I don't think they are, but, but, but they're more interested in perhaps the outside world and how connections can be built and, and what is happening to influence, what's happening on the, inside, uh, on the outside to influence the inside of that business because that obviously is part of the role they're playing. So, so I, think, um, I think it's less now about one person as the CEO driving all the change. There's too much pressure on somebody anyway. Mm. I mean, I actually think CEOs have huge amount of pressure, uh, untold pressure um, on them to deliver short-term and long-term and everything else mm-hmm. be- beside. The more you can build a team at the top, mm. the more those people can create a shared vision and you know, explore different versions of the future, um, the more future-proof that business is going to be. I mean, okay. I love it. So, Tracy, um, staying on top of what's going on, uh, what advice would you have or any tips and tricks for execs and, and non-execs on uh, staying on top of the trends? Okay, so... Um, don't uh, recruit a chief futures officer. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you learning yourself out of a job? Yeah, exactly. I thought about this, actually, because I thought, do, do I believe in chief futures officers? And I thought, well, it's a, it's a gr- it'd be a great job. But actually, fundamentally, I don't believe in it because I think, and hopefully, it's, it's what we've just been discussing, you should be embarking on futures thinking yourself all the time. So the, the, the biggest tip... Um, I could give anyone is to just start thinking in a more forward-looking way in your everyday world. So, uh, I mean, look around. What are the indicators you think of change? We're always discussing it all the time, but we don't ever sort of jot them down or sort of scan them and then note them. Um, And if you start to do that, then you start to see patterns and then you can see change emerging kind of not, not, you know, on the horizon, I guess. The other thing is to always look back, to look forward. This is quite a big deal, I think, because we're so stuck in the present. I mean, most of the sort of trends agencies are kind of bamboozling you through your email inbox with, you know, the 50 trends you should know this week. Uh, it's totally overwhelming and it isn't actually very helpful. What is really helpful is to go back and understand the history of your category or the history of your brand and, and then look at it over as it's evolved over eras um, and you'll see the patterns and that is the biggest clue to what's going to happen in the future because it's a trend is a continuous event. It isn't something new that pops out of the blue. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a fad, right? Mm-hmm. So look at the long-term trend, its evolution, carry it through the present into the future. It, it will tell you what is going to happen in the future by, by looking at the past. Brilliant. So Tracy, how can someone, uh, what's the best way to contact you or follow what you're up to? In the future. Oh, yeah, as soon as I publish this. <laughs> um, probably on our website, which is uh, anydaynow.co. Um, you can email me at tracy at anydaynow.co or... Or follow the follows on um, Twitter at, at Tracy underscore Luke. Brilliant. Thanks for coming on the show, Tracy. Lovely.
hanging out with you talking about the future now. Thanks very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.